0: My name is Oliver Dixon and I'm standing in for Kathy Muchashana this morning here on The Talking Point. In this hour, we're going to be focusing on food security and hunger. Effectively really getting to the bottom of how do we we solve the problem and what does the problem look like? We need to characterize the problem first. um, And it's important that we get that right because then we solve for the right thing. Um, A couple of questions top of mind for me is, do we have a food scarcity problem? Or do we just have a distribution of food problem, um, and by distribution I mean, really, do we have or do we all have equitable access to food um, in ways that mitigates food insecurity? Um, should I be using that term correctly? Now, guest uh, this for this hour is Dr. Namu Sadlamini, who is a principal researcher and the acting group leader for food uh, for food safety program at the CSIR. And we're also going to be speaking to Sandy Bukula, who is the operat- who's from Operation Hunger. She's the CEO over there. Dr. Dlamini, thank you so much for your time this morning. Sandy, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really, really do appreciate it. I want to start here, uh, Nomusa. Yes. What, what, what is hunger? What is malnutrition? I don't understand those two things to be the same thing. Or are they <laughs> the same thing?
1: No. Good morning. Uh, and good morning to your listeners, too. Uh, basically, hunger is just a lack of food. And we know that um, when you don't have food, obviously you don't have nutrients. So a hungry person will definitely lack like nutrients. And maybe we can we can go a little bit back and say that hunger is actually uh, it's like food food insecurity. You know, we have food security, which yeah. means that all people at all times have physical, social, and economic access to sufficient safe and nutritious food, hmm. which meets their preferences as well as their dietary needs for an active and healthy life. So hunger is just a no no Hunger and nutrition go hand in hand
0: in brief. Right. Uh, the reason I said I don't understand those two things to be <laughs> the same thing, um, when I was a university student and I couldn't afford much food, i I lived off of two minute noodles that's for a while there would be in any given set of weeks that might be the only thing that I get to eat and I fell ill and I went to the doctor at some point um and I was told that I'm malnourished. I'm like, no, I'm not hungry i'm, e- I'm eating every day's got yeah. food but i was still yeah. I was still classified as malnourished yeah. um I was told that I don't have the right the requisite amount of nutrients from a given meal. And, and, and I understood that to not mean hunger. So what does it effectively mean to be malnourished outside of hunger? Okay. Um, we have hunger, which
1: is just plain lack of food. Then we have what is called hidden hunger. Hidden hunger is when we don't get all the nutrients that we need for a healthy life. So basically, when you say you are, you are eating noodles every day, you are not hungry but the doctor said you're malnourished, basically you're suffering from what is called heat and hunger. So in some cases, people eat the wrong type of food, let's say plenty of sugary foods, plenty of carbohydrates, and they don't get the right nutrients. Then they will definitely suffer from heat and hunger. And uh, maybe I can define um, the major nutrients that are in short supply when you have heat and hunger. Like in Africa and most sub- sub- sub-Saharan or most developed countries, yeah, Heat and hunger is due to vitamin A uh, shortages deficiencies. Vitamin A zinc, iron, iodine. And the list can go on, but those are the four main ones.
0: Mm, mm. Okay. Uh, Sandy, I am not bring you in here. How big is, do we have a hunger crisis in South Africa? How big is the problem? <laughs>
2: um, the problem is quite huge. And um, I'll put it in this way so that I can simplify it. Um, so we've got um, basically in, in South Africa, um, a almost half of the population households basically uh, don't have sufficient or adequate diet um, for the day, and this is basically a result to access to food, affordability to food, or either you know like their social cultural um, environment. So basically, that is how big the problem is. Um, I think the last recorded. Um, Basically, food insecurity numbers within the last two quarters with that 11.9% of South Africans right now are currently on a food crisis. So, which means, this means that they don't have, you know, like, let's say you've got the first to the 31st of the month. So they don't necessarily have got access to food for the 31st, for 31 days a month. So the access, like the, the basic frequency of yeah. how much they are able to eat Anyway, let's not even count how many meals a day, but just one meal a day. um, They currently actually don't have access to that. And then we've got 2% of that 11.92 that is currently on an emergency. So that means that they're going several uh, days without actually having received anything to eat. Now, if we're talking the malnutrition, so that means basically... Um, over and above malnutrition, we, this would be obviously the result outcome or thereof, right? So it's quite very interesting because the country has got uh, basically, you know, multiple um, forms of malnutrition, and we've got an undernutrition problem, which is basically those people that are, I spoke to you about from salvation all the way to food crisis to the people that are currently on uh, an emergency. And then on the other hand, we've got basically a number of people that are currently obese. So basically, their input of uh, their meals is basically not correct. So it's not sufficient. They don't necessarily focus on the, uh, on the composition of the correct nutrients to put in their meals. So you see what I mean? So we've got a double burden of malnutrition in the country at the moment. But undernutrition... Yeah. undernutrition is basically the biggest,
1: biggest,
0: biggest problem. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Um, you say half of the country, right? And and, yes. that, that seems to correlate with poverty stats that we know. It also seems That's to correlate right. uh, with unemployment stats. It also That's then right. seems to correlate with um, a stat recently uh, that, I, that I saw, that half of South African households are dependent on social welfare grants. Um, to get correct. by, That's is all correct. of that is all of that interlinked, or is it just inadvertent or accidental that there seems to be a ballpark figure of how many people seem to be poor in this country, living in abject poverty? How many people are hungry? How many people are depending on social grants? Is there is there a li- interlink between all of that?
2: That's correct, Oliver. It actually is interlinked because the determinants of malnutrition are cut. Are directly linked to the social, cultural, um, the environment, as well as you know um, the conditions and structures that people find themselves in. So, for example, object poverty. Um, and we, you know, we had this conversation, I think, in June when we were highlighting the set of unemployment and what that and, and what that means to the nutritious status of the person. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. so uh, basically, for example, in South Africa specifically, most households basically depend on um on on cash in order for them to be able to provide meals on the table right so that is basically interlinked as a, as a high determinant in the country because not everybody um, is has an ability to basically have substance substance diet or complementary diet besides actually being dependent on actually having food to put food on the table
0: yeah um mm-hmm. and uh, look we're going to be speaking about uh, the second half of this conversation is going to focus on solutioning for it right but, That's correct. But where does the problem come from? Are we not producing enough food, or are we not distributing that fairly?
2: Um. So it's quite a it's quite an interesting one because I think the BFAP report this year from agriculture specified very nicely to say that you know in terms of crop availability, we've got quite a huge. But the problem has been that we haven't actually focused on a biodiversified crop. That are available in the country so we have been very biased in terms of producing um a specific crops that are for commodities that like for exports for example and things like maize eggs and so forth so and you've seen like the turnover within 2020 when we experienced the uh, COVID 19 impact as well as the relative to 2021 so what you would have seen is that basically the market in terms of the growth of those of those main um you know energetic and cereal types of uh you know crops they haven't actually experienced so much of a downturn as opposed to your normal vegetables or basically your healthy foods because, I mean, you've got 46 in the, in the table, so it's going to be quite a long discussion. <laughs> but, yeah, so the main cereal issues, is, I mean, the main cereal crops are the ones that we have been producing the most um, and, uh, and and basically which is your special foods. And that is basically what are usually the, um, the staple foods that most of the lower um, consumers, <laughs> Depend on you know on a yeah. monthly basis because that's
0: what they can afford. Yeah. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Doctor Dlamini, how 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 big of an impact has uh, the inflationary run of the last year been on uh, the food basket, the basic food basket, as Sandy refers to it, the staple food basket?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I, I suppose if if we go back and look at food security availability. As Sandy has already pointed out, the COVID-19 affected uh, availability and production of food as a result. Uh, And also there are other complicated political sectors that then Mm -hmm. affect the price of the food that then people cannot afford to buy the food. Like If you look at the stats again, the world stats, in developing countries, people spend more than 50% of their salaries or of the income they earn on food. Whereas, if you look at higher-income countries or higher-income families, because we've got both in South Africa, they spend mm. only 10%. So you can imagine a slight increase in the price of food definitely affects everything else. So the, the fallback is to buy cheaper food that is affordable, that is less nutritious. So, yeah, mm, it, mm. It, it really has had an impact on, on, on our communities and hunger. Heat and hunger... <laughs> I pointed out earlier, is very, very prevalent. I mean, yeah. like, they say, like, one tax that I was looking at, they say, like, 2 billion people in the world. It's not just South Africa, it's the world, generally. Mm. Yeah. We have obesity, which is creeping into Africa, South Africa. The latest report also said that obesity was one of the major causes of non-communicable diseases, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, as well as malnutrition
0: yeah uh, it's, it's it's interesting that you mentioned obesity. Explain to me the nexus between obesity and nutrition, uh, because the assumption is if you're obese, you're eating too much and you're uh, you know, there are all sorts of uh, stigmatized stereotypes associated to obesity outside of the health implications. Um, is, is, is obesity indicative of overavailability of food in in, in some sense?
1: Um, I, don't understand. You want to okay, I, I can take it first. So basically, eating the wrong type of food, we had issues of earlier, I, I think from the 70s, studies were showing that eating high-fat, high-sugar food will eventually, and, and lack of activity, of course, the balance of the two, mm. will eventually lead to people getting too much weight. If you look at the... The body shapes over time. Even, even in our own country, look at your grandparents. Until today, you walk in the streets, look at how the bodies have changed. The foods that we eat, two processed foods, high in sugar, high in salt, lack of mm-hmm. activity, we get in our cars, we drive, and yeah, they are mm. very, and sometimes it's even genetic, although they say that the genetic factor that influences your body size. It's about ten percent, ninety percent you can control. <laughs> and of course, some people think, "Oh, I'll just eat a bit better and go and exercise," it's not yeah.
0: the case. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Really, <laughs> <forgot> this <laughs> Yeah, give us a call. Yeah. Our number is, oh, uh, the number is oh, the number is oh eight six triple zero two zero three two. Give us a call. What's on your mind? What would you like to contribute to this conversation? Um, what are some of the uh, issues relating to hunger that you'd like to raise? On how have you experienced? Hunger, hidden hunger, malnutrition, um, and, and food insecurity. 086 000 2032. 086 000 2032. That is the number to dial. Of course, we're still taking your WhatsApp voice notes throughout the show on 0614 104 107. 0614 104 107. Uh, you can send those voice notes there. If you do send a voice note, please do keep it short under a minute so that we're able to hear you. Tweet me directly at Oliver underscore speaking if you'd like to contribute to this conversation on Twitter. Simply Oliver Dixon on Facebook uh, or at SFM Radio across all social media platforms. Uh, Sandy, I, I, let's, let's mm-hmm. go here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems to me that the solutions are intuitive. Produce more food, make food cheaper um, and subsidize those who can't afford food Um, and, you know, implement initiatives (laughs) like community gardens, help people Mm -hmm. who are subsistence farmers, it seems intuitive. Mm -hmm. Is Mm -hmm. the solution that, or is it a lot more complex?
2: Okay, so part of the solutions that you have brought up are basically, yes. um, But it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, And what makes it a little bit more complex than that, because you've got, factors like you know climate change globalization and trade for example um and then you've got income and growth um distribution with basically external drivers um to ensuring an equitable nutrition landscape right and then you've got population growth and migration which is i don't want to go into it because your full section was on it in the morning (laughs) And and then you've got the social um cultural context right but um, I love what you said um, about focusing on actual solutions. All right. You know, we do have got specific areas whereby we can already start looking at those barriers and actually lift them up. I think the beautiful, the most beautiful thing that the COVID-19 has done, it has, it has created um, almost like, a, um, you know, it, it has highlighted so much of the gaps which we've we find in our system systems alone. Um, you know, I mean, we've identified already that there is a disconnect between agricultural policy and contemporary um, nutrition challenges, right? Whereas the policy has um, basically, you know, been very slow in the response to the persistent problem of macronutrients, you know, your malnutrition, child stunting, as well as emerging challenges of overweight and obesity, right? So we've, we've obviously found out that, you know, um, you know, the, the policy is heavily biased towards, you know, improving a step of grade, what we've already spoke about now. So, and we haven't actually looked at, uh, for example, on the hierarchy of, you know, of our production level, just basically looking at agriculture. You know, we've been very much happy with having um, a commercial farming as, as, as high, you know, on the hierarchy, right? And providing so much resources, intense investment, and intense resources from that level, which is good because basically this gives us um, an opportunity to trade and, you know, for the country to make some money, right? But yeah. we haven't actually looked at, you know, like the medium-sized and subsistence farming, and which are basically, um, you know, um, areas where, you know, areas of current, uh, that could be looked at current growth. You know, I mean, if you're looking at the macro financing uh, policy and you're looking at the, sm- the small farm holders, you know, it does not give much room for the small ho- holders to basically grow more biodiversified crops. That are not necessarily, you know, our commodities, but that are biodiverse for the actual requirements of the crop that is needed across and the distribution thereof would create so much opportunities in between. Because what that would do is it would it would create, you know, opportunities, you know, for, for example, the supply chain for, for, for better transport systems, you know, um, that are short term that make sure that from the farmer, you know, to the base uh, to the retailer or the market to the people. So you've got additional people that are coming in um, that are basically going to be, uh, you know, uh, making revenue or you're creating jobs within that specific sector. I mean, you know, you're looking at um, uh, customizing or modifying our current micro system so to enable basic growth. So not only are you looking at creating jobs here, but you're looking at other developmental marketable issues that we've got currently in the economy. So we definitely do have got, you know, some emerging solutions. But I think the biggest problem has been that you know, the food access as well as government policy has always been concentrated on the uh, on the isolated sector. And what we've been doing is, most of the time, is we don't actually look at customizing what we already have because the country is full of innovation. You know, we've got a, a beautiful amount of human capital. I mean, we've got so many graduates. You know, but we haven't been looking at how do we integrate these people and actually making them more productive without going to Denmark and borrowing Denmark's policy and trying to implement it here. Yeah. You yeah. see what I mean. So we've got a, a variety of options here. I mean, we also have got an option and an opportunity to link, you know, the food systems or and the communities with the health systems. Because if you think about the impacts of people that we are treating for non-communicable diseases, you know, within the different communities, right? Those people still need proper nutrition care, but being able to just provide them with basically the medical treatment. And then when they get home, they go back to the, you know, to the problem. So this creates a generational cycle of, uh, you know, of, of of malnutrition. So because a mother that is in their reproductive age, right, if they are, if they are malnourished, they are going to prevalently provide and give birth to an undernourished child, which is basically going to be stunting and wasting. So the child is not going to have, you know, a better chance of being, you know, uh, you know, of, of being of fully developed. You know, cognitively as well as growth, cognitive, you know, cognitive, cognitively and be able to participate in the world that they are, like in, in a way that they should. Do you see what I mean? So we've yeah. got all of those specific areas that need to be coordinated, but that needs like yeah. I mean, I,
0: I, I mean yeah. <laughs> not 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 to not to nitpick or yes. anything, right? But that yes. that that last that last implication you raised there is an interesting Mm -hmm. one for me. And I'm going to shoot in the dark here because, I mean, you're not an educational specialist, uh, but how much of our (laughs) under-education in the country is linked to malnutrition in children? Uh, I
2: actually just have the steps here. um, Quickly, if you just give me a second, I'll tell you now. So basically, on the last anthropometric study is 4.46 children um, in sub-Saharan Africa, so this actually looks at the continent as large. Um, at imp- in, 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 um you know, yeah, four point forty-six percent. education is impaired. It is, is impaired due to stunting, wasting, as well as low growth.
0: Yeah. In repeat that number.
2: 446 nutrition. percent. Four point four six percent. Yes. Ah.
0: Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you so much for that. Let's take a quick break. We're going to take the news headlines. On the other side of this, we'll continue taking some calls to this uh, conversation and reflecting on some of the voice notes on 86 000 2032 SAFM 104-107 Nationwide. Give us a call on 086-000-2032. 86, 000 2032. 086 000 2032 Send us a WhatsApp voice note on 0614-104-107. You are listening to The Talking Point. We're talking food security, food insecurity, hunger, and malnutrition. What is it? How do we solve for it? Um, And what are the complexities involved in this? In this conversation with me is Dr. Nomu Sadlamini, who is a principal researcher and the acting group leader for food security, for food safety program at the CSIR. And Sandy Bugula, who is the Operation Hunger CEO, also with us in this conversation. Let's take some of your calls. Zwane out in Mtata. Good morning.
3: Good morning to you too Oliver and the doctor as well. <laughs> Excuse me. Good morning. My question My question is if let me use the the example Oliver used at the beginning where he says he used to take noodles then as a way of uh, as a way of avoiding these these sicknesses that come with abnormal eating habits if I use I I take these noodles And then use supplements, the vitamin supplements, which are easily obtainable over-the-counter in order to avoid those like obesity, uh, diabetes, and and others. Is that okay? Doesn't it have side effects if I regularly use these vitamins? That's an interesting
0: question. I don't know if anyone here is a medical doctor because that seems like a medical question, uh, I but mind. I'll shoot Answer in the dark. It. Dr. Damini, do you want to go for it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'll try and go for it. Well, I'm not a medical doctor. That's the first disclaimer. And thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, you find that um, you can take supplements, but to, to help with your food intake. But if you're going to take, let's say, a diet that like is high carbohydrates, obviously you're going to be lacking in things like dietary fiber. And other phytochemicals that you find, especially in food and vegetables, your nutraceuticals. So definitely you will have a problem. You need food in your diet. You need vegetables. You need fruits. But if you are going to take supplements, please take them in combination with a wholesome diet, with fiber, minerals. Because we find that sometimes even the absorption of those particular um, vitamin supplements will need, um, let's say, a fat fat from your diet will need certain components from your diet
4: mm. not by
1: themselves and also you want to avoid the instance of overdosing yourself with supplements food naturally contains some of these vitamins yeah um mm-hmm. like like if you look at uh, fat soluble vitamins like a vitamin d a vitamin a you don't want to take too much of those in a supplement because it can cause poisoning the body can't regulate it once it is a, in a synthetic form but when it is in a form that is found naturally in food, the body can regulate the absorption depending on the needs. So, yeah, dietary supplements are good. That's why sometimes they have to indicate how many you take. Sometimes they'll even indicate on the container that you need to consult with your doctor. You can buy them over the counter. Yeah, yeah. But in some cases, they can interfere with certain medications you may be taking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you need to be really careful if you are going to take dietary supplements.
0: Yeah, Don't as, over
1: rely on them. Yeah, as now,
0: as, as someone myself day. who is on a cocktail of, of <laughs> vitamins and supplements, I do recommend consulting a doctor because uh, sometimes you, uh, you may be overdosing and, and, and using some of the wrong supplements. Thank you so much for that. Let's have a listen to some of the voice notes that's come through.
5: SAFM team, um, the issue of food security and hunger is man-made. There's enough food for everyone to eat. It's a matter of people being willing to share, and also not looking at profits and business benefits before a human life. It is man-made, and the issue of um, food security and, uh, uh, and issues of food can be sorted out if people wanted to do that.
3: Morning, Oliver, this type of we have a problem of food and healthy food in this country and i urge the government to subsidize those that are living with comorbidities in terms of food uh, there should be a special allocation for people that are, are suffering from comorbidities you know so we find that the person is eating unhealthy food Not by choice, but because of the food that itself is so expensive. For example, a person with hypertension must not use a cooking oil, normal cooking oil. But because of olive oil is so expensive, he's forced to do that. He's forced to eat fat cakes. He's forced to to eat uh, uh, water. Shalom. Shalom.
6: Brother, uh, so she's wisdom from Anduedue. My contribution is this: that leads to malnutrition is a mindset, especially now, and the young people, uh, especially young people or middle age, they have the mentality of healthy food is for the old people who are sick. If you speak about fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, no, everything is about meat. Is about meat nothing else so it is a mindset that even the taste of uh, nutritious food it is testing bad That is that mindset that is the one that is destroying a lot of people
7: since I'm passionate about health thank you bye Oliver we don't have food security problem in our country you know in rainy seasons, they are the floods, heavy floods, that wreak, that wreak the farms havoc. You know, so many crops get distracted in such the floods. And in South Africa, we don't import, in particular, more maize. I regard maize as staple food. millimeter staple food. We don't import them such a staple food from other countries. Even the beans, you know, we've got so many farmers who produce this. You know, there's a bumper harvest sometimes if there is more rain in our country. So we, the South Africans, don't have a food security problem. You know, there's a difference between object poverty. There are those who earn income who do not suffer object poverty, who do afford more food. Good morning, lovely brother. Housing for a minute Park, Dr. Tlamini,
0: Following from that final voice, order, I want to, I want to maybe ask you this: What are some of the factors that will inf- Im- impact food security and food safety going into the future? Um, and I'm asking this off of the back of, you know, this person said we've got healthy weather cycles and. Uh, it, it, you know, we don't have a food security crisis, but I'm thinking about like the floods in KZN, for instance, I'm thinking about mm-hmm. uh, the, the you know, disruptive impact of climate change um, and mm-hmm. terrible weather pa- weather patterns that, for instance, resulted in the drought in KZN and, 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 and Eastern Cape two, three years ago, um, where a lot of livestock died as a result of that. How, what, what are the factors that will impact food safety into, into the future?
1: Okay, um, yeah, it's true that what the previous callers have said that South Africa actually is, is, is the most food-secure country in Africa, maybe not in the world, but um, and there is definitely enough food to go around to everybody. But it's the access, it's the availability. Mm-hmm. And by access, what do we mean? It's by economic access, the prices can be too high for people. I mean, South Africa exports some of our food products And it can also be something to do with education awareness, nutritional education of the people who are accessing that food. And all these things will affect definitely um, availability of nutritious food. And what is the impact of climate change? Climate change, we find that um, most of our commercially available crops um, require certain um, climatic conditions. I mean, we've, we've adopted many crops into this country that are available in the shops. If you walk in the shops, you find wheat, you find meat, you get this bread, you find rice, you find all sorts of vegetables as well. Those vegetables are not, they, they were not naturally growing in South Africa, but they were brought into South Africa. But with climate change, the temperatures change, the rainfall patterns are erratic as well. Not to mention the, the floods, that then flood everything, but the droughts. Um, South Africa is in most of the African countries we have had indigenous crops that our people used to grow even like many years ago, which are drought resistant. Some can even withstand slight flooding. So there is really a need for us to diversify our food sources, not yeah. to rely on those cash crops that are affected by climate change. Like I think if you look at even if you Google today, Europe is experiencing drought. I mean, high temperatures some of their crops cannot stand it and obviously
0: there'll be hunger there are wars mm, also mm. Are you affecting. know actually i want to speak to that and i want to, i want us to touch on the globalization of food security and food insecurity let's take a quick break mm-hmm. safm values your views be an active
5: citizen safm team um the issue of food security and hunger is man-made there's enough food for everyone to eat. It's a matter of people. The government advises people to have vegetable garden, whether you use an old bucket or basin, so that you you don't buy vegetable, and uh, whether you don't put oil or Whatsoever you can have your pe- boiled vegetable like the Chinese, they are healthy. And you exercise. Vegetables, you you need to buy them, you plant them in a small uh, old bucket or a basin. That's all. Thank you.
6: Oliver is true food is expensive, but some people are lazy. They've got the gardens in their yard. Look, when we grew up in the olden days in Soweto, we used to have gardens at the back and a green grass in the front. Soweto, all townships, be it Venda, Mahwele Ring, everywhere. Those four-room yard space were very big because we could plant and have vegetables. In the rural area, we will have gardens. But today, Somebody says food is not expensive, hey, people are not sharing. Do you think there is a farmer who will just plan to give people poor people in the background and say come and take it because you are poor? No waste. They should do it in their own yards and have healthy food, mixed vegetables. There is nobody who is a charity organization who can just make, everybody wants profit. That's how business goes. We can all bankrupt and be a social republics.
0: Dr. Klamini is subsistence farming the panacea to hunger yeah
1: <laughs> i like I like the comments that have been forwarded so far, especially the one about growing your own food mm. um in your garden actually, that's one of the most powerful intervention steps that remember we were talking of food that people can buy if you can't afford if you can grow it because you've got any vegetables even even one or two fruit trees. You can grow a variety of vegetables. Those are powerful sources of nutrients as well as nutraceuticals that can help overcome uh, diseases. Maybe if I can talk about the research that we do at CSRR. We we actually work with small enterprises. You can start one by using crops that you grow in your garden and produce food products that you can sell. Remember when you harvest, the harvested vegetables or foods don't last forever. You have to somehow get them to a state where, they, where you can sell them or where you can store them for a long time. Yeah. You can store them in a fridge, in a refrigerator, you can freeze them, or you can process them into a dry product. So in the, some of the research that we do, we actually work with enterprises, as you say, who are driven. They produce some of these food crops in their gardens, or they work with other teams, and they develop food products. What we come in and do is then to help them develop these safe food products that are nutritious, that are scientifically tested, and these they can package them in various ways, and they can be able to put them in the market and sell them to the communities. Some have even been able to access even the mainstream markets, like you know your big retailers. So we, um, being self-driven, being able to produce your own food and being able to produce your own food products is key to some of the research that we do. We call mm-hmm. it innovative research. In addition to just using your ordinary available vegetables or foods, we're also using the indigenous um, vegetables that been underutilized. Some are not being cultivated. We work with other partners who also help communities, if even school gardens, to, to to, to develop cultivation methods and train these communities.
0: Mm. Earlier on, uh, Sandy spoke about the ton of innovation that's happening um, in the food security space and that we need to be able to tap into that. Now, you guys at the CSIR are, are doing some of that, right? Um, yes. You're assisting uh, small businesses in, in with who are innovating in the production space and producing some of those sort of things talk to us about some of those initiatives, some of those solutions that you guys have backed up. Okay. One of the solutions that we picked, one of the solutions that we sort of um introduced to a
1: community is where a community in the Eastern Cape where they started producing crops rather we call them ingredients, you know, when you formulate them into food products. Yeah. They were growing the they were growing the vegetables, they were growing the this orange fruit potatoes which are high in vitamin A, they were even producing the legumes, and they processed this into products okay. that were easy for school children to consume. You know when you take food to, to a kitchen, you have to cook it sometimes for hours. So with these, mm-hmm. uh, with these crops, what we did, we formulated a, a, a drink, a nutritious drink, that, and it was presented as a dry powder, so you can store it, don't need the fridge. And what the schools then did is to mix it with water and give it to the children. And the drink was formulated so that it, can, it was high in vitamin A, iron, and zinc. And with this product, we were able to then evaluate um, the, the impact of the drink on the school children in terms of their nutritional and health status. These children, when they were observed over a period of time, they were found to be healthy, And they grew very well. They became interested in school. And some of their health indicators, for example, hemoglobin, which is an indicator of uh, iron, sufficiency of iron in the diet, improved very much. And then we also have other products where we had SMMEs approaching us, wanting our help to formulate this product. Sometimes they come with an idea. And then we, we work through it with them. We develop the product. Looking at all the regulatory requirements, the tests that are required, and um, we have had several who now have products on the market, and we're still working with more.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, are there patents on some of these things? That sounds especially the um, uh, that that product around how you just mix it in water, and you know, uh, <laughs> w- we we had a similar product when I was in primary school. We called it kambele. <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers that. Um, but are there yeah. patents on these things? And and. Um, these businesses i 'm assuming they have to make a profit somehow, but it sounds like social enterprises to me
1: but some especially um, with the, with some of the products we develop because we some of the the funding that we get is public funding so although a company that is interested can license it and then they can make money from it like for example, we need to drink is up for licensing at the moment and um yeah. And um, sorry, not it. funny. And it's up for licensing at the moment, and there's been several calls for expression of interest. Um, we're not saying that although the products are up for licensing, in some cases we find that enterprises, because of access to funding to, to have the sophisticated equipment, they may not be able to afford. But we have other institutes that we work with that assist our enterprises. Even at CSR, we do provide training. do provide assistance in terms of identifying the the right equipment that they can use, even the type of facilities that they can use to produce this so that they can enter the market very well. So yes, definitely, they have to make profits.
4: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Although in
1: some cases... like especially with the with the trial that we did with the nutritious drink it was a social enterprise but the communities were remunerated for the work that they did ah Some that's i actually I want to ask family.
0: you i want to i want to ask you if there's ways for communities to make money out of subsistence they will farming make money. but uh i wanted to take a quick break and then we'll come back to that
5: uh good morning yes i uh, my take on regarding uh food, food shortages i blame our South African government if they can make sure that people have water running water in their yards and encourage people to plant or to have their own gardens at home so that they can have vegetables on regular basis they need to make sure that these people have water if ever you have sufficient water I mean I won't see any problem especially guys who stays in villages you know they have such a huge stance they can have some gardens behind their yard. Freddie speaking, thank you. Hi, um, SAFM team again. Another biggest problem with the issue of food security and hunger. We should also be looking into the fact that a lot of um, seedlings and seeds are patented. And that is the worst thing to do and for governments to allow that to happen because you find yourself in issues of infringing people's patents on a basic thing such as a seedling. How is that normal um, in an issue and a period where people do not have food?
0: SAFM values your views.
5: Hello,
2: I just want to ask why don't we start with the choices that people make? Every time I see poor people eat and buy food, it's mainly junk food. I don't, I don't get it. I spend more or less money on food than they do pro rata, because where they would buy a packet of chips, I would buy a potato. And a carrot. I, I don't get it. Can't you make a healthy soup? Buy a packet of beans instead of two big packets of chips and and the chocolate and the coke. Coke is the worst. Thank you. Bye.
0: I think we underestimate just how cheap junk food actually is. It's and it's not just about the cost of the single purchase. It's also about the cost of preparing a meal if you buy the potato you know um if 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 you for instance are a poor south african living in a shack you have to think about "Mm, potentially do i have gas or paraffin to be able to cook the potato to make the mashed potatoes or whatever the case may be so it's not just about that's 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 my intuitive response sandy am i am i am i getting it right
2: Uh, You're absolutely getting it right because I actually wanted to say prior, you know, from the previous call of saying food insecurity is not a problem. It actually is. I mean, we work with 2.4 million beneficiaries, right? And we work in vulnerable communities, both in rural communities. And we have brought initiatives. I mean, we do that very elegantly. We've got... Um, you know, community gardens that basically the produce tends to be commercial and, you know, we find a retailer and then, you know, we create jobs in that way and people continuously have got, you know, access to food, they've got income and then, you know, they we educate them, we create awareness in terms of food. But it's not a simple thing of the outcome of a diet, you know. Um, there are multiple factors that actually ideally um, come about in a for a family to be able to be able to put food on the table. I mean, yeah. if you just look at sustenance farming, um, you know, you would know, for example, in purple we had funding to basically come and, and do a hydroponic farming or a tunnel garden, huge, uh, 200 hectares. But the biggest problem for us, too, before we could even begin, we had to actually roll out an infrastructure issue with water supply and so forth, you know, um, solar. That was not actually calculated. So it's yeah. not that... You know, it's the, it's the idea of thinking people are just lazy.
7: Yeah, that absolutely. That I would like
2: to correct. I think we need to have more education in terms of understanding the intricacies of what actually enable people to actually have nutrition equity, and it's not only just basically, you know, um, having the end product of having the potato. But as you said, it's basically the access to its affordability is, you know, and as the, the country in, in its most seventy-five percent of vulnerable communities, right? People earn less than $2,200, okay? Yeah. And fourteen percent of their income goes into food because they've got things like shelter, water, and all of those things that actually take account prior. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so and, and, is, and
0: energy costs, right? Electricity or paraffin or uh, gas or whatever the case may be is is a significantly right. higher cost. And, you know, ESCOM's insecurity doesn't help much in terms of that. Let's take a quick question as we wrap up the conversation. Adolf out yeah. in Cape Town, good morning. Lisa, how are you i'm fantastic go ahead very briefly
1: i'm good i'm good i just want to ask a, a question to to the doctor so my question is i got a three years old girl so that girl she doesn't want to eat she doesn't want to eat at all if you yeah, like if you 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 cook food like you you, you give you rice with beans she will only eat rice and she will leave beans. And if there's like stew on the rice, she will not eat it. She will look for where, where, where,
0: where, where, where there is the white rice. That's, that's why. That's what she likes to eat. Is she and not perhaps? Is, I mean, you might need to just get her to see a doctor. Is she not perhaps uh, just vegetarian? I, I don't. I don't <laughs> no. know. I, I'm assuming people can be born no, 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 no. She's
1: not a vegetarian. But no, no, she's not because if you give him like uh, okra, you know okra.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes, if you give them
0: like okra oh, and mix with uh, meat, she will eat it perfectly. Yeah, perfectly. My, my unqualified and unprofessional opinion is that you might have to s- not get not your not doctor not to, not. Your, daughter to your daughter to see a doctor or a dietitian of sorts, uh, because there may be something deeper than that. I don't think it's just a recalcitrant child not wanting to eat. Uh, doctor Lamina, I'm going to give you the last word as we wrap up this okay. conversation.
1: Alright, or maybe to. Try and address uh, the, the 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 person with the child. Children are always problematic. to eat. You have to look for you know in creative ways of making them eat their food creatively. So maybe to wrap up, we can say that um, food security is a complicated issue. As well as to try and achieve nutritious food, it's an issue of accessibility, the prices, and most important of all, education. Like what other colleagues have said. We have to know what we're putting into our body. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, you know, appreciate that some of the the food we can have control over them. For example, if got a small yard you can put on a vegetable garden. Some people think yeah. things on tyres. And yeah, just trying to invest more on ourselves. Yeah. And also looking at how um, innovative how innovation can address them. Even yeah. if it's on have a you can work with the partner. Somewhere. For for
0: for young innovators listening to this right now, Dr. Dlamini, who would like to reach out to you and say, hey, I've got this idea that could contribute to solving this problem. How can they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, they can go to the CSR website. My, my email address is there. Or they can send me an email, nrjamini. What's, what's, what's...
0: Sorry, uh, <laughs> repeat that.
1: N R Nomsa Roda jamini, without K-A-M-I-N-I, at C-S-I-R dot C-O dot Z-A
0: right Fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, Sandy, how can those get in touch with who would like to get in touch with Operation Hunger get in touch?
2: So it would be www.OperationHunger.org dot uh, or you can contact us on O-double-one Um, and basically on all social
4: platforms,
0: we are there. Fantastic. Ladies, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really, really do appreciate it. Incredibly important conversation, both incredibly insightful contributions. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.